Welcome to FRT, the IIF's podcast at the intersection of finance, regulation, and technology. I'm Jessica Renier, Managing Director of the Digital Finance Team here at the IIF. I'm here today with Morton Beck, head of the BIS Innovation Hub's Swiss Center. For those of you who aren't familiar with the BIS Innovation Hub, it has a number of different centers in different countries, of course, connected directly to the BIS itself in Basel. Morton's team has pursued multiple different projects, kind of a range of different proofs of concepts and prototypes over the last number of years, and we're really excited to uh, talk to him today, in particular with respect to a recent project, Project Torbion. So with that, welcome Morton. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Morton, I wondered if you might uh, just tell us a little bit more about the BIS Innovation Hub and the Swiss Center in particular before we dive into some of your projects. So I think the idea behind the BIS Innovation Hub is, is fairly simple. Technological change is happening very fast in the financial system and, and central banks need to keep up. And the BIS has been supporting central banks for over 90 years. And innovation is just the latest area where we, we do that. And I think the rest of the BIS is really focusing on helping the central bankers of today where we in the Innovation Hub is trying to focus on how can we help central bankers of tomorrow. And so the the ambition of the Hub is to be a global force of uh, innovation. And as you mentioned, we have uh, sensors around the world in Hong Kong, Singapore, Switzerland, Stockholm, Frankfurt, Paris, and London, and we hope to open another center in Toronto early next year. And each center is... Um, joint venture with the local central bank. And so, for example, half my staff actually comes from the Swiss National Bank. So with respect to the work that the Swiss Center then has focused on, has there been any particular aspect of innovation that your center has has done more work on than some of the other centers that you'd want to highlight over the last few years? I think the Innovation Hub as a whole has been asked to look at three, six strategic themes. One is subtech, regtech, open finance, cybersecurity, next generation financial market infrastructures, green finance, and last but not least, uh, central bank digital currencies. And if you look at that, most of the focus has actually so far, and a lot of the focus has been on, on central bank digital currencies because that has been an area of particular interest, obviously, to central banks. In the, in the Swiss Center, we have really focused on, on two, we call them areas of uh, opportunity. One is focused on technology, one is on tokenization, and the other one is uh, what we call advanced data analytics. And in the advanced data analytics, that's where we look at things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, but also new data sets such as high frequency data and alternative data sets that central banks usually have not used. They have one project, which is we call Project Rio, which is a tool for central banks to monitor FX markets in, in real time. And now we're also looking in actually to how central banks can improve their economic uh, forecasting, as well as something very quirky, but it's about how to save liquidity in, in payment systems. So that's really what we do in the advanced data analytics cluster. And then in the tokenization cluster, we do a lot on around tokenizing digital assets, but also we've done a number of uh, projects on central bank digital currencies. So with that background, let's dive into Project Turbion. Addressing how you've gone about it, what does it explore? Let's start there. What are you looking to explore? What did you look to accomplish as the report recently came out? And then we'll get into kind of what you've learned from there. 
So our overall strategy in the area of uh, central bank digital currencies has really been to we wanted to lead on wholesale CBDC and then we wanted to shape retail CBDC. And Tour Beyond is, is our first real retail CBDC project. And so it really addresses three things that we think are key for retail CBDC. One is privacy. A lot of studies have shown that that's a key user requirement for people to adopt a retail CBDC. People like the anonymity that cash uh, provides. Also, just as in cash, security is key. You want to avoid counterfeiting or, or double spending, as it's also sometimes referred to. So security is, is a key aspect of any retail CBDC. And then finally, we look into scalability. And so as there's a lot of retail transactions, you want to have a retail CBDC that can scale and actually handle the large volumes that might occur in a future retail CBDC. And so to, to that end, what we did was that we actually built uh, two, not one, but two prototypes to test different configuration of a, a retail CBDC that would provide the things we, we just spoke about. And it really builds on the traditional two-tiered banking system that we have today. And so they, they're really, there's still a central bank, there are commercial banks, then there's customers, then there's merchants. So the setup is very familiar for today, but what is different is really around the privacy that we have built into these prototypes. And today, if you pay with cash, both the, uh, the payer and the payee or the consumer and the merchant, if you pay with cash, is anonymous in some sense. There's no recording of the transaction, so afterwards you can't see who paid whom and and for what and but that is typically not the case when we pay uh, electronically today if you use your credit card there's definitely an electronic trail and also if you pay with some of the phone apps that are now available the same thing is the case so what we built in in Tourbillon and which is key is really this that we try to strive to obtain a similar form of uh, anonymity as in cash for the consumer but importantly, not for the merchant or whoever is receiving the payment. So when you try to put those three different things together that you talked about privacy, you talked about scalability, and then of course there's resiliency and, and cyber resiliency in, in particular, there are trade-offs between those three. It's kind of the, the trifecta, if you will, of, of trying to solve multiple different problems, but all in one instrument. Can you talk to us a bit about why it's so challenging to fit those three things into to the same instrument and what trade-offs you've found as you've gone through this project. Yes, so let me let me try and, and, and tackle that. It's a little bit complicated to be honest, but I think the first thing, in order to have any type of security in a payment system, you need some level of cryptography. And that's usually handled by uh, some form of digital signatures. But if you want privacy, then you need to go a step further and apply something that's called blind signatures. So that's what we did there. In terms of security, the challenge that we kind of face or the financial system face is a little bit that cryptography that works today might not be very good in the future. And then you might ask why. And then I will say, well, there's this hope or this notion that in the future we might have what is known as quantum computers. And this is a way, a new way of computing that will provide much larger computing power. And this is going to be great for society as a whole. We can do a lot of things that, uh, that we can't do today. We can solve problems that we cannot solve today. And so that's going to be amazing. But the problem is also that the same 
Computers can then be used to basically hack the cryptography that provides us with security and privacy today. And so in order to get around that, you need new ways of, uh, of cryptography. And there's a number of different ways of doing that, and they are known as quantum safe methods. And so one of the things that we do in Tourbillon, which I think is, is really interesting, is that we look at if you did implement this form of extra security or extra cryptography, then how would that actually affect the performance of the system? And so this is one, one of the reasons why we actually built these prototypes to be able to test this. And what we did was we built the two prototypes and then we took real payments data and tried to run it through the system and see how these two prototypes would perform under the classical cryptography, the one that we have today, and the one that might be needed in, in the future when quantum computers are common. And what we found was that in one of the experiments, the, the system that we built could handle, let's say, 2,500 transactions per second with the classical cryptography. But when we implemented the new form of cryptography, it could only handle 20. So that's a quite a big jump down in terms of performance. And of course, you can say that in the future, things are going to be improved and stuff like that. But I think that was a really a big surprise for us that the difference in performance was as large as, as, as we found it to be. So a lot of these problems have been dealt with, or at least encountered, in other areas of innovation throughout the digital asset industry, if you will. And multiple kinds of players throughout the, the private sector, as well as just in, in open source development, have come across these trade-offs that, that you just outlined in, in between resiliency, scalability, and privacy. Um, which hits me as very key that that this project did address those and find you know very uh, informative kinds of outcomes that you may or may not have expected. So with respect to privacy in particular, because the, this continues to come up, and and I know around the world in different jurisdictions there have been more sensitivity or not to questions around privacy with respect to any digital asset, but central bank digital currency has been one area where questions of privacy have come up. You know, how would you think about different aspects of privacy that you explored in this particular project, since I know that that's something that the BIS is, um, you know, cares about? Thank you. That's a very good question. I like to think about privacy as the right to keep personal information secret or just known to a, a trusted group of people. And I think while privacy is, is very important to people, of course, privacy also makes payments easier to use for illicit transactions. So, so it's about finding the right balance in terms of privacy when it comes to payment and also in other aspects of life, but, but let's focus on, on, on payments. And so as the thing I already mentioned, if you pay with cash, you have full anonymity. But there's, of course, a lot of drawbacks uh, around cash. You know, I always say that if, if you were to introduce cash today, you probably wouldn't be allowed due to all kinds of uh, concerns, uh, as we mentioned, around illicit activity. And cash cannot be used online. So cash is likely not going to be the dominant payment instrument in the future. In fact, it isn't now. But also when you pay with, like, say, your debit card and credit card, then some companies will have access to this data and might use this data in ways that you're not quite comfortable with. But of course, hopefully you trust them. So you have some degree of confidentiality. 
And then, of course, what we've seen with Bitcoins and some of the other crypto asset or cryptocurrency is that they have this pseudo anonymity where, you know, your address is, is nobody can guess your address. But if they happen to somehow to guess who the address belongs to, then they can actually see all your transactions going back in time. And so these are different ways of thinking about privacy. And then the, the different CBDC projects that we've seen have tried to solve that in, in different ways. Either there's no privacy or the level of privacy is dependent on the size of the transaction. So these are ways of looking at it or that nobody can seize it. And like a court order would require the central bank or the commercial bank that is managing the transaction to reveal the identity of the people engaged in the transaction. So what we try here is just to find like a new paradigm where there's what we call payer anonymity as, as discussed before. So as the report that was issued from the hub um, was issued very recently, I think the very last week of November of this year, that talks about what was executed in the project and also what you found and perhaps next steps that might, you know, might be of interest or that the, this particular project did not yet explore. What might be some of those things that the project itself did not yet explore or learned that it needs to explore further to take it to the next level if, if one decided to do that? So let me just start by making a plug for, for the report itself. I think it's a it's a very nice read, but even better is probably some of the video that we have posted along with the report. So if what I've said today makes absolutely no sense, the, the best way to make sense of it is actually to go and watch uh, some of the videos that we have, have posted. And there's actually also a video where um, the two people that have been coming up with a lot of the ideas behind this project. Thomas Moser, who's the member of the governing board at the, an alternate member, member, I should say, of the government governing board of the Swiss National Bank, and a world-leading cryptographer, uh, David Charm, kind of like give their views. So again, I, I would encourage people to, to watch those videos. Coming back to the rest of your question, I think some of the things that we do, do not explore in, in this particular uh, project is that you know, there's a lot of user requirements in terms of, of doing a retail CBDC or requirements from, from stakeholders. And there's some of them that we did not uh, explore. For example, the, the prototypes that we built does not have any offline capability. I think that's, that's going to be a challenge for any CBDC that what happens if, the, if there's a failure of a mobile network or electricity, you want to have some kind of backup system and how you do that. And that's a really, really challenging question of how to answer. Our Nordic Center has, has done uh, some very interesting work on that, which I can uh, recommend that people um, try and look into if, if they're interested in that. And then another aspect that we have explored in other CBDC projects, but don't look at at all in this project either, is really how do you facilitate uh, cross-border payments? So jumping on the, the cross-border payments comment, in terms of how would you facilitate cross-border payments, and, and it's something that needs to, needs to be explored further, taking, if you could, taking this project and trying to take learnings from it to thinking about then 
facilitating cross-border payments. What aspects of this particular project, is it the scalability question of, of being able to have scalable global reach that really applies to the cross-border payment question or the resiliency more? As I see the, the privacy piece, I think, you know, applies regardless of the size and what regardless of whether it's cross-border or not. Is it kind of scalability that you're, you might be focused on there? Again, it's a really good question, and it's really not so much the the cross border nature. You, I could definitely transfer a two B, as we call it, uh, a two B uh, currency unit from you to me. That would be no problem. But the problem is more if you have two currencies, because then that would somehow require a lot of coordination between the two issuing uh, central banks. And we just didn't have the time or, or energy or resources to look into how you would solve that. So this is very much a one currency system. So so I think that is something where we would have really have to go back and, and put our thinking caps on in trying to solve, solve that problem. You would have to build also, as in any cross-border or cross-currency, system have to build in some kind of FX mechanism whereby you can trade off one currency for another. But then how do you actually maintain uh, privacy in, in foreign exchange? Exchange like foreign exchange is an, is an issue that, that potentially merits uh, further investigation in the future. These, of course, are all themes that we've seen very clearly in a number of the speeches that the general manager, that Augustine Karstens, has, has given around the, the vision that he has of, of a unified programmable ledger and how you know, multi-jurisdictional cross-border um, payment systems may take some of these technologies into account. And, and solve for some of those problems. So it seems very apt that those kinds of questions would come up in this context. So you mentioned partners on the project and the Swiss National Bank and some other work that has been done, particularly around, I believe, eCash that, that was related to the impetus for exploring this particular project. Can you tell us more about the idea to pursue this project in the beginning and in any kind of context on where it came from? So as you correctly mentioned, the, the two prototypes, we implement a two different version of something called eCash, which was developed by David Charm in, in the 80s and, and a team around him. And then a couple of years ago, Thomas Moser, David Charm and a Swiss uh, computer scientist professor Christian Grothoff wrote another paper that kind of like took that concept a bit further. And those ideas were then again developed even further by Thomas Moser and, and David Charm. So th there's a long like academic literature that has led to this and, and also different implementation of similar ideas that, that has come before. So it's, I think the real contribution of this thing was actually to try and build these systems, different versions of it that has different you know security features and then really trying to use the latest quantum safe cryptography methods to try and test the, the scalability. So I really think the contribution of this uh, project has been to try and bring privacy, security and scalability together. And I should mention that we worked a lot with the IBM. They have a research center here in, in Switzerland, and they have been the one that have developed some of these new ways of, of doing cryptography. So, so I think it's it's not only a, a very realistic project in terms of like looking at a re retail CBDC, but it's actually also been drawing on, on some very, very solid uh, academic research. 
And you mentioned, of course, IBM's research and work recently, which they have made a number of announcements. I, I noted quite recently in a lot of progress that they've made in the quantum space. On that, for, for just a moment, separate from the project itself, just your thoughts on, on quantum. Yeah, so, so super, super interesting uh, field, I would say. But I'm definitely not the right expert to, to ask about this. But I think it's quantum computing, there are few around and people are improving their technology all the time. So I think that's ex- extremely interesting and to see what goes on, goes on there. I do think what I like about it is I always like to say that in the innovation hub, what we should be doing is that we should be pioneering. So we shouldn't be looking at the problems of central banks today, but we should look at them, whatever problems there might be on the horizon or even beyond the horizon. And I think this quantum computer and what we do in terms of cryptography is definitely one of these things that's beyond the horizon. So it's really just trying to help central bank think a lot about what is the future of the financial system going to look like and, and how can we make sure that the financial system and especially our payment system are still secure in the future. And what our report just highlight is that this is not going to be easy. There are definitely some scalability issues that people would need to take into account. But of course, we can't stop technological process and quantum computing is going to be great for the society at large, I, I believe. So so it's more about what kind of solutions can we find that might uh, help alleviate that. And what this report just shows that th- there's still some work to do, but I'm sure that people that are much cleverer than me are, are working hard trying to solve this. So the project name, I, I understand oftentimes with the, the BIS Innovation Hub project names, they are chosen to uh, reflect something about the project and, and kind of characterize perhaps some of the goals or, or just you know what the objectives are of the project. I'm curious where the name Tourbillon came from. That's exactly right. We try and, and pick the names carefully and, and think about them. Uh, it's actually often one of the hardest part of, at least in the beginning of a BIS Innovation Hub project, to find a good name. So Tourbillon really means two things that might be of interest here. One, it is the inner workings of a Swiss watch. So it's very intricate and complicated. And we thought that that was very uh, true also of the cryptography and some of the te- technical features that we are doing here. But it's also, believe the word for twister in French and we are in one of the prototypes using something that is called mixed network so you're kind of like twisting things around in order to preserve the privacy so there's these two aspects that's kind of reflected in the name of the project and and Switzerland is of course also French speaking so so we also had to pay some homage there. Well, good. Always very interesting to see one of the project names and, and see what it's intended to, to reflect. Further to this particular project, but also as you you know think about the landscape of either future phases or, or next projects that, that you may take on, of the different items that haven't yet been explored or that more work is to be done on, is there a you know, a priority order that you might put those in? Like, what is the next priority or biggest thing that you do think that a project really should attempt to solve? I think two things that that are of immediate priority uh, to the Swiss Center is really, uh, one, as you mentioned earlier, I think this this concept that the BIS presented in its annual economic report this year 
called the Unified Ledger, actually trying to investigate a bit more how that could actually be put in into practice. So our general manager has definitely instructed us to to look into that, and and we we are exploring an, a number of, of different ideas and and scoping uh, potential projects in in that area. But and, and there will be more to come on that. And then I think the other thing that we are really trying to work on in in the Swiss sense is a little bit we focus very much on on the payment lag, lag of transactions, which I think is is of course natural for for central banks but central banks also do issue securities or manage securities and so we actually also want to look at the security lack of a lot of uh, transaction and and here we are working with with the world bank in terms of uh, actually tokenizing the way that they fund themselves they use today something called promissory notes that they get from governments which are commitment to support the world bank and it a bit of a surprise to us it, it turned out that these instruments are still paper based and so we want to do two things basically we want to um, digitize these and then we want to see if it makes sense to put them on some kind of distributed ledger or, or blockchain so so those are kind of like the two big items that we will explore in in the next or coming years well there you have it definitely things to look forward to i would encourage everyone to please go check out the report on tourbillon that recently came out again end of november from the bis uh, innovation hubs swiss center and the videos that Morton recommended, as, as I'm sure that they're quite instructive, that are also available online. Thanks very much for tuning into this episode of FRT. You can always check out more FRT episodes at the IAF website at IAF.com.